Welcome into the Power Alley. If you're familiar with the podcast, I'm your host, Pat Malacaro. In Major League Baseball, we've hit the proverbial halfway point in the season. The Midsummer Classic is set to take place at Coors Field in just a matter of hours, but in AAA and Minor League Baseball, the season will continue. After an off day on Monday, July 12th, the Bisons will open up a 12-game, 13-day homestand, first taking on the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs from the 13th all the way through the 18th, an off day next Monday, followed by six more games against the Syracuse Mets, a 12-game homestand coming up at Trenton Thunder Ballpark, and coming up later here in the Power Alley, we'll get you set for the next two weeks of Bisons baseball, but first, we check in with Brian Frank. He's the creator of the Herd Chronicles, and for those of you that have not checked out his website or his Twitter account by now, Brian is one of the preeminent voices in the history of Buffalo baseball, having fallen in love with baseball and Buffalo baseball history as well. Brian has continued that love affair with baseball by creating the Herd Chronicles, something that he and I have talked about in the past and have been able to feature on several Bison broadcasts over the past couple of seasons, bringing you some of the names and stories you may not have heard from as far away as over 100 years ago. And stories like the Bisons playing home games in Grand Island and also players like Billy Botanis, Pud Galvin, and a host of others that really has brought to the forefront a newfound appreciation, I know for myself at least, of the history of Buffalo baseball. And he was also one of the contributing editors to the seasons of Buffalo baseball. And here in the Power Alley, we talked to Brian about how we got started with following along in Buffalo baseball and including following the many writings of Joe Overfield, the great historian and Buffalo Baseball Hall of Famer who chronicled many years of Buffalo baseball, including the first hundred years. And his book is looked at as the gospel of Buffalo baseball. And his son, Jim, updated it over the past couple of years and has culminated in the seasons of Buffalo baseball. I was excited to talk to Brian just about his contributions to the update to the original book, and also what it's been like the past two seasons to cover the Toronto Blue Jays and help provide a living history of what it's been like to see baseball at Salem Field for the past 14 months. And that's where we start our conversation with Brian here in the Power Alley. Brian, thanks for joining us here today in the Power Alley. I'm glad to chat with you finally here now that the 2021 season is well underway. Um, you know, before we get into the background of starting the Herd Chronicles and um, your journey in the in the seasons of Buffalo baseball. Just some of your impressions, first of all, on the Bisons playing in Trenton this season, and maybe from a distance, you know, what you've seen from this Bisons team. Well, they've been playing really well of late. Um, I had the chance earlier in the year to go down to Trenton, and it was a great experience there. Uh, and a beautiful little ballpark. Um, and then able in the last few weeks to go up and see them in Rochester and they've been doing well. Uh, I got to talk with Casey Candell yesterday and he's doing well and uh, everything seems to be going in the right direction there. I think they're about four or five games back now and making their move in the division. So it's one of those things where I've talked to a lot of people over the last couple of weeks, folks that maybe knew or didn't know that Casey Candell was such a pivotal figure in the late nineties of Buffalo baseball and I think that's one of the things we miss out this year is whether you're a Bisons fan or have followed the team for, for decades now, that a manager like Casey, who has the history of being a Bison player and so well revered, hopefully we see that uh, sooner rather than later, because that's something I think we're missing out on this year. 
Yeah, and that was one of the things he talked about yesterday um, that he really missed being in Buffalo this year. Um, he, he trends treating him great and he loves being there, but he, he really has missed out on returning to Buffalo and getting to see the stadium and all the upgrades that, that we've done. And, um, and he also talked about how much he's looking forward to the first game back in Buffalo and how special that will be for the community. So he definitely has his, his finger on the pulse of Buffalo baseball. So it'll, it will be great to have him back here. And, you know, as we're talking, I'm just thinking about it, you know, his backstory beyond baseball and uh, his mother's role in the history of baseball in America, you know, chronicled in a league of their own and now is going to be turned into a, a TV show, I think through Amazon. So, you know, just the background of Casey, uh, something that baseball fans in general, I think, uh, you know, should know about, maybe do know about, and just add another layer to, to, to the great, uh, you know, legacy of Casey Candell and his family. Yeah, it really is a fascinating story with his mom. Not only did she play in the um, All-American uh, Professional Women's Baseball League, but she was one of the better players. I'm, I, I've heard she was called like the Ted Williams of, of women's baseball. So she was really a great player and taught Casey, uh, you know, a lot about the game growing up. And um, it really is a wonderful story. So Brian mentioned you're the creator of the Herd Chronicles. And I want to talk to you a little bit today about just your background in, in following Buffalo baseball and, and your love for, you know, baseball in Buffalo and just how, how you've been able to, you know, chronicle the last couple of years of, of Bison's baseball, so to speak. And, you know, where did your love of baseball really first really start? Well, I grew up um, like playing Little League and everything in Springville. And uh, my parents uh, used to take me and my brother to lots of games. We'd go to the Rock Pile and, and uh, see Bison's games. And we'd also go up to Toronto like really often. When I look back on it now, I'm just shocked at how much. We'd go to about 10 Blue Jay games a year. Um, if they were home on a Sunday, we would almost certainly go up to the game at Exhibition Stadium. And then we'd go see them in Cleveland for a couple games, usually when, when Toronto was there. And we saw them in Detroit. And um, so I was really exposed to professional baseball when I was young and seeing all those games. And then listening, um, I, you know, I can remember having a transistor radio right next to my bed at night. And when the Blue Jays game was over, I tried to find like the Tigers game to listen to Ernie Harwell call. And I could pick up St. Louis games with Jack Buck and you, you would just try to listen to any game you could on the radio. And it was really a different time, but um, really got me into, you know, baseball and baseball history. You know, even I'm, I'm a little bit, few years younger, so I don't remember those days so much, but I just look at the way that we watch baseball now to when I started following the game in the late 80s, I'm talking 88, 89 into the early 90s, when you only had a couple of games on TV, you may only have a chance to watch the Yankees and the Mets and whatever the Saturday afternoon game of the week was and just how different and how much easier uh, it is to watch games and follow your favorite teams now. And it's something I think that just kind of gets lost and you, you don't have to really search for it the way you used, used to be able to and, and really fall in love with, with a team. And they were kind of your own in, in some ways. Yeah, you know, it's hard to describe to somebody how big of a deal that Saturday game of the week was. Like if your team was going to play on the Saturday game of the week and you had either Ben Scully and Joe Gargiola calling in or Tony Kubek and Bob Costas, 
you look forward to that. You know, that was something that you planned out and were ready to watch because, you know, it was one of the times you could watch them. And then we could also get Blue Jays games on Channel 9 out of Toronto with the aerial back then. And they were on Sundays and Wednesdays always on Channel 9, so you could watch them that way. But, you know, those were the, really the only games that, that you could watch on TV. The rest of the time you could listen on the radio. But it's so different now with, like, MLB Extra Innings and just all the games that you get on ESPN and all the, you know, the Yes Network and everything. Um, but definitely a different experience. Nowadays, if you get one game blacked out for your team, you get upset that you can't watch them. Back then, it, it was really something when you got to see them. And I guess that that's a good thing nowadays because I think, too, last year in when the Blue Jays played in Buffalo and we knew they were going to be at Salem Field all season long, if you were from Buffalo or a Bisons fan growing up, you were able to see what the stadium looked like with – you know, the Blue Jays playing last year, albeit with no fans, but that was a unique experience and something that you were able to take part in where 20, 30 years ago, you probably were not able to. Yeah, exactly. And I know a lot of people signed up for that, for MLB extra innings last year, just to be able to watch the games in Buffalo, because of course, fans couldn't go last year because of COVID. And like you said, Buffalonians uh, from around the country, expats got to see what was going on here as well and the same thing this year it's uh it's definitely a great thing the better access that we have nowadays and brian you created the herd chronicles and uh allowing us to find out a lot about buffalo baseball history that we may not have known in the past where was your inspiration for creating the website and coming up with these stories and finding these little nuggets that folks might not know about and you know your love of baseball in in creating the herd chronicles I've always been interested in baseball history. And I can remember um, back at games at the Rock Pile, uh, my dad would always buy the game program. And I can remember looking through that and finding articles written by Joe Overfield in it. And one really stands out. I was probably only like 10 or 11 at the time. And I still remember that. That's how much of an impact it had on me. And I can remember, one particular article, I think it was about Dan Bruthers, the Hall of Fame first baseman for the National League Bisons, and just being amazed that, you know, Buffalo had baseball for that long and that we had a major league team, we had Hall of Famers play here, and that kind of blew me away. Then when I got into college, I, I went to Canisius College, I remember going to the, the Central Library for a project. And I had to go through the old microfilm um, news, looking at old newspapers. And I want to say I kind of stumbled upon, but I probably actively sought out some of the old uh, game stories from the National League team and was just blown away by reading about them. Like those old newspapers are kind of everything that you would hope they would be with the old folksy language and kind of like hyperbole that they use that once a week they'd say that a game was like the greatest game in the history of baseball or this is the greatest game ever played on these grounds and then the next week there would be oh this is the most exciting game ever played and so it's really fascinating to look back on and that really got me interested more interested in the in those National League teams and I kind of at that time planned like someday I'm going to write a book about these National League teams and I put it in the back of my mind. And then maybe about 10 years ago, I went back and uh, started actually researching to write the book on the National League teams. And uh, my wife, Jenny, kept saying, well, well, you know, when are you gonna start writing? 
Now I say, well, I have a little bit more research to do. I have to finish researching first. And she said, well, why don't you start a, a like a blog and, and start writing about it, you know, for people to read. And I said, oh, I don't know. And we talked about it and, and kind of, it eventually evolved into writing about all of Bison's history from 1877 when they started right up till today. And um, it just really took off and, and it's been a great experience. And how has the last couple of years, especially you know, last season, seeing you at the ballpark for, for those Blue Jays games and being able to be a part of you know, living history, really, uh, of what we're chronicling day in and day out and kind of trying to, to remember you know, 20 years from now what it was like what, what has it been like for you the last year plus of being at Blue Jays games at Salem Field? It's been fantastic. Um, it, you know, it's kind of rare that you know ahead of time that something really historical is going to happen, you know, like, yeah, Manto hits three home runs at the stadium and that's history, but you didn't know that beforehand going in. With, with the Blue Jays here, like, you know, you know ahead of time, like, this is going to be history. This is I know Mike Bushkowski said we, we thought it was going to be a once in a lifetime thing, but now it's a twice in a lifetime thing. But like, you know, this is something that hasn't happened here since 1915 that we had Major League Baseball here. So going in, you know, this is going to be history. And it's really been a fantastic experience. Um, I, I didn't realize like last year was kind of strange without having fans there. And I didn't really realize just how strange it was until this season. Um, just the atmosphere that having fans there really brings to you. Uh, last year, they had the, the crowd noise was being piped in and um, a guy would hit like a walk-off hit and it would just kind of be silence or that crowd noise would become a little bit louder, but it just wasn't the same feel. It wasn't the same atmosphere. And this year with having fans there and, and having fans being able to enjoy that experience um, has just been uh, a tremendous and uh, the Blue Jays players have been great. Charlie Montoyo has been great. I've been able to um, participate in the in the pregame and postgame Zoom press conferences um, in order to help document what's happening here. And um, it's all been a, really an unbelievable experience. I don't think you could be any more right about what it's been like to have fans back at the ballpark. And it's something that we've always talked about on the broadcast and you and I've talked about it, you know, those big league feels on the certain nights of, of the week for buys and games, whether it's a Friday night bash in July and August when the ballpark is 12, 13,000 people, or maybe the BPO night, Star Wars night, where you have almost a full seating capacity. And with that taken away last year, you kind of forget after about 10 games or so, I felt like that there was that ambient crowd noise and you just got kind of got used to the sterile environment. But first it was 3,000 or 3,500 fans at, at a Blue Jays game this year in Buffalo. And then we get to seven, 8,000, 10,000 people in the last homestand. And it really get to feel that atmosphere that we were really missing last year. And, you know, definitely took for granted uh, before 2020 and, and so glad to have it all back. You're right. And last year with the, the piped in crowd noise, the, the first game I went to, like the speaker was like right there. I was covering it as media. And I was like, I am never going to get used to this sound, you know. But after a little while, you kind of blocked it out. Like you said, you kind of got used to that environment um, where it was just silent and you could hear the players talking on the field and stuff. But this year, uh, as you said, it, it's really just takes you back to those Friday night bashes and 
and the VPO nights and Star Wars nights. And it's, it's just the, the crowds, uh, like the Tampa Bay series were just tremendous. Um, July 4th and, and Independence Eve, they were uh, great and really into it. You know, they play the shout song. Usually I think it's about the four and a half inning mark. They play the shout song and the crowd gets all into it. And it, they really not only been nice big crowds, they've really been uh, boisterous and, and chanting, let's go Buffalo. And, you know, it, it's been wonderful. I'll be interested now to see that uh, Canadians are able to cross the border, um, even though the border is not open, so to speak, but uh, the, the ability maybe of some of our friends from Canada to come back and forth now that they're fully vaccinated, if that'll have an impact on what, what crowds look like going forward and even enhance the experience even more. So I think, you know, as, as we sit here in, in almost the middle of July and at least one more homestand on the horizon, uh, I'll be interested to see just what the ballpark looks like and evolves into it as, as the season goes on. Yeah, I've thought about that because, you know, when you look at like a normal Bisons game and the number of Canadian fans that are there, and even like a Bills or Sabres game, the number of Canadian fans that attend, really so far for these Blue Jays game with our, our border cut off to Canada, it's just been local fans. So that really could, you know, I know it's still kind of a hassle to cross the border for them, but that could uh, definitely lead to some more different fans being here. And Brian, as we look back now on, on the history of Buffalo baseball a little bit more, I wanted to just talk to you about your involvement in the recent publication of the Seasons of Buffalo Baseball. And for somebody who, as you mentioned, you know, is long revered Buffalo baseball history, what did the original book by Joe Overfield kind of mean to you and, uh, you know, what he was able to uh, encapsulate in, in that original book that, that was updated? The original book is just, I mean, that's what you turn to when you're, when you're looking for anything Bison's history. And I can remember when it first came out, like I said, I remember before it came out reading Joe's articles in the, in the Bison's programs. And then when that came out, like when, when I started the Herd, that was really, I mean, Joe Overfield's an inspiration for the Herd Chronicles and, and his writing. And uh, when I first started the Herd Chronicles in, in the, um, bag that I carry around I, I had that a copy of I have two copies of it one I keep like really nice in this plastic thing so it won't get damaged at all and one the pages are just falling out of and the bindings all broke because I carried around with me so much and um, to be able to help with that update and work with his son Jim and Mike Villani on it um, Jim lives in Vermont he's a great guy and I got to know him well and just be able to, to go back and and the new book is like everything that was in a hundred seasons and more because we we not only updated it to bring it up to date from the 80s up until now but added a lot of old stories as well and um, Jim did a lot of additional research and um, it, it really was just an unbelievable dream come true because that book meant so much to me and so much to Buffalo baseball and I know just the the awareness of, of the book now is even that much greater, whether it be Harry Smith on the Today Show just the other day talking yeah. about the history of baseball in Buffalo. Uh, there's so many just great little articles and things you mentioned, you know, just thumbing through the book a little bit that folks would not know about. And I, I look at one chapter in specifically from the early 1900s to about 1945, and it's baseball in good times, hard times, and in war times. And I just think about how 
all of that kind of is coming full circle again in how history repeats itself. And, you know, pardon the cliche, but it really is true. Yeah. And Jim did a great job of that, like tying in kind of like the history of the city with the team. And like you said, what we're seeing right now with the COVID situation and, and everything, and all of a sudden we have Major League Baseball back here. It was really kind of a, a great way to end the book, like because the, the year by year section go, goes up to last year right now. Um, Mike Carrington wrote the 2020 section. Um, and that's another great thing about the book, like all the different people and different writers that contributed to it. Um, Jim, of course, and Mike Bellani and myself, but uh, Mike Carrington wrote um, some stuff, but uh, Bailey wrote some stuff. And so we really um, had a nice uh, kind of cast of, of Buffalo fans contribute to the book as well. And Brian, as we, as we look at some of the stories you can't help but talk about the, the teams that played in the major leagues in Buffalo back, whether it was the National League, the Federal League, the Players League. You know, what, what, when we look back on some of those teams, you know, what are some of the highlights that, that folks might not know about or even not know that there was this big league, uh, big league baseball played here in Buffalo? Yeah, we had um, three different major league teams based here. There was a national league team from 1879 to 1885. And then players league, which was a major league that existed just for one year, 1890. And then a federal league team in 1914, 1915. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the national league team just really kind of fascinates me. Um, they had four hall of famers that weren't just kind of like up and comers or finishing the end of their careers. They were in their prime while they played here. Uh, Pud Galvin, their best pitcher, um, was the first major league pitcher to win 300 games. And he won 218 of those games with the Bisons. Dan Bruthers, who's one of the, uh, maybe the best hitter of the 19th century, would go on to win four National League batting titles. He won two of them with the Bisons. Um, their player manager, Jim O'Rourke, uh, led the National League in hitting one season with the Bisons in 1884. And then the other Hall of Famer, Deacon White, uh, hit, he played here for five seasons and hit 301 in those five seasons. So they weren't just kind of like, you know, played here for a couple games and moved on. They were really a major part of that Buffalo National League team. And then also an, a little point that a lot of people don't know about, Old Hoss Radborn, who, uh, has become kind of famous from the Twitter parody of himself. But uh, he actually started his major league career with the Bisons. Um, they signed him as a pitcher to kind of be Galvin's like second pitcher, expect then they only use one or two pitchers. And um, he injured his arm in spring training and couldn't pitch. So he ended up playing six games for Buffalo at second base and right field. And because he couldn't pitch, they ended up releasing him and he'd go on to win 60 games with Providence in 1884, still the all-time record and, and, and kind of become a legend. And he's a Hall of Famer as well, but just kind of played in Buffalo briefly. And, and these are such great stories. I feel like there's always a Buffalo connection. As you mentioned, Pud Galvin, and I think back to 2016 when, when the Cubs no-hit uh, Cincinnati and there was Thank a Buffalo gonna... tie. Yeah, I mean, just there's just so many different different things that we just don't know about until they happen. And it seems like Buffalo's in the middle of them all. 
Yeah, you never know when something like that is going to come up where, you know, like Jake Arrieta, they, he had the uh, biggest lopsided no hitter in history since Bud Calvin. So yeah, you never know when something is going to pop up like that about Buffalo baseball history. Every once in a while, you'll be watching like a game on ESPN or something, and they'll show some sort of list of all time stats or something, and you'll see like Pud Galvin or Dan Bruthers pop up on there. So it's really neat. I can't imagine the way we look at a box score today. I mean, it's very similar when you look at some of the box scores from back in the day, but how easy is it to find a box score from even the early 1900s or going back to, to the when baseball in Buffalo first started? Now, how easy is it to find that material or do you have to really know what you're looking for? Um, they had box scores back then They in the newspapers. They looked a lot different. Um, they kind of had, this was the days when the National League team was here, it was gloveless baseball. So defense was a lot different back then. And so I think there was a bigger ep- emphasis on things like put outs defensively. And, uh, you know, because if a player had a lot of put outs playing gloveless baseball, it's a, a good thing. They had a lot more errors back then as well. You you look at a game and you might see like a, a game that had 10 errors. So um, the the box scores looked a little bit different. They kind of focused a little bit more on defense more than, than modern box scores would, but they were, they did have them back then and uh, on a daily basis in the newspaper. Oh, Brian, I, I love catching up with you about Buffalo baseball. I know one of my highlights is always when we, when we talk about different players, different moments that we highlight on, on our broadcast. So thanks for taking some time with us today. I know we're going to talk again very soon about um, some of the, highlights of whether it's the Negro leagues that are now recognized by major league baseball. We're going to chat again very soon. So I'm looking forward to that and uh, looking forward to seeing at the ballpark again, this next homestand that the blue Jays have. It's always great to see you around Salem field. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Pat. I really enjoyed it. And I can't wait to talk to you again. Our thanks again to Brian for joining us here in the Power Alley. I cannot wait to catch up with him once again and bring you some more of those great stories of Buffalo baseball and including some that are now being brought to the forefront that we may not have thought about before. So looking forward to catching up with Brian again in the future. But as we get set for Bison baseball here in the present, the Bison sit at 33-24 and 24 on the season. Good for third place in the AAA East Northeast Division standings. Buffalo is four games back of Scranton-Wilkes-Barre as the Rail Riders have been very good but haven't been at their great pace as of late. The Rail Riders still sit at 37-20 and 20 on the season, followed by Worcester, three and a half games back of Scranton. The Woo Sox are 34-24, and 24, a half game better than Buffalo entering play on Tuesday. And the Bisons will see Worcester coming up in the next couple of weeks. The second trip to Polar Park for the Herd comes July 27th through August the 1st. Have that one circled on my calendar for a very good litmus test of how good the Bisons are and how good Worcester is for a team that really struggled out of the gate. They have been one of those that many in the league have thought have improved vastly, and the record certainly shows. For the Bisons, one of the reasons they've been so successful since June is the pitching staff, as the team ERA is currently 3.41, continues to be one of the top in AAA baseball, period. Second best to Durham and the bullpen, something that has helped out the Blue Jays immensely through some of their injuries in the pen over the past couple of months. The Bisons' team bullpen ERA is 3.13, 
at certain times best in AAA. It is now currently third among all 30 teams in AAA baseball. So the Bison pitching staff continues to excel and be one of the reasons why, as pitching has started to really catch up to the hitting this season, the Bison's pitching staff has been able to hold their own and continue to lead the way among all teams in AAA baseball. One of those reasons the Bison's pitching staff has allowed just 191 walks this year. That's fourth fewest in AAA baseball. And the 184 earned runs surrendered is tied with Durham for the fewest given up here in the 2021 season. So for a pitching staff that has not had Nate Pearson as of late, Jacob Waguspak has been dealing with an issue expected to be back in the rotation this week. But now the addition of someone like Bowden Francis, who was acquired in the trade with the Milwaukee Brewers last week when Rowdy Telez was sent to the Brew Crew. Francis, along with Trevor Richards, the two pieces acquired from Milwaukee for the power-hitting first baseman. Francis, a starting pitcher with Nashville at certain times this season, figures to feature prominently in the herd rotation going forward. And we look forward to telling you about Bowden Francis and his Bison's debut, which is expected to be this week against the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. Also on the offensive side of things, Bravik Valera continues to help toe the line for Buffalo. The veteran who was out for an extended period of time just over two weeks due to being hit in the helmet by a pitch back on June the 2nd. Valera came right back into the Bison's lineup on June 18th and did not get a hit against Rochester that night, but followed it up with 10 straight games with a hit all the way to the end of June. A couple of Hiccups at the start of July, including going over part of a doubleheader against Lehigh Valley on July 2nd, but on the most recent road trip, and actually starting it just before leaving for the road on July 4th, Valera had a base hit, a one-for-four night against Lehigh Valley. He would follow it up with hits in four straight games against Rochester, adding it all together. Bravik Valera currently on a five-game hitting streak for Buffalo, where he's hitting 474, nine for 19 over that stretch where he has five of his six RBIs this month coming in the last three games, a three RBI game on July the 8th against Rochester. And then in what turned out to be the series finale due to a rain postponement on Sunday, July 11th, on the 10th, Valera had a home run and a pair of RBIs in the Bison's loss as part of that doubleheader sweep by Rochester that sent Buffalo home with a sour taste in their mouth and they're getting set to take on Lehigh Valley. So we look forward to seeing how Brave Valera continues to help lead the offense at the plate. Thomas Hatch was optioned to Buffalo as his Major League Rehab assignment came to a close at the beginning of the road trip in Rochester, and Hatch is scheduled to start due to the postponement on Sunday. He's scheduled to get the baseball for Buffalo at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night when they welcome Lehigh Valley again for a six-game series, an off day next Monday, which is the next time we'll talk to you and we'll get you set for the six-game set against the other Thruway Cup rival, the Syracuse Mets. A lot of great stuff happening at Salem Field. We'll have more Blue Jay games to talk about as well as Toronto comes out of the Major League All-Star break, beginning a quick six-game homestand in Buffalo this coming weekend. Looking forward to bringing you all of that and the latest on the Buffalo Bisons. When we talk to you next time in the Power Rally, I'm Pat Malacaro. We'll talk to you next time.